Who owns the moon? This is the central question for today's discussion. I'm not going to definitively answer this question, since it isn't a question that is legally settled. Yet, I think it is an interesting question to ponder for now, since it will likely become more of an important legal issue as more countries land spacecraft on the moon. For reference, let's take an example of colonialism from the relatively recent past. This is a map of the British Empire in 1910. The text of the map begins with, This picture helps us to understand the wonderful way in which the British Empire is established throughout the world, which is rather imprudent to say the least. I think many would agree this isn't the model for nations going forward as new land is available in outer space. The fall of the British Empire happened towards the end of World War II. During the Cold War, as the Soviet Union and the United States were beginning to send spacecraft and humans into space, there were concerns about land in outer space, particularly the moon, being taken over by one or more countries for themselves. For this reason, the Outer Space Treaty was enacted by the United Nations in 1967. The treaty is formally called the Treaty on Principles Governing the Activities of States in the Exploration and Use of Outer Space, including the moon and other celestial bodies. Since that is a mouthful, it is usually referred to as the Outer Space Treaty. There are 109 states that are parties to the treaty, meaning that a delegation representing the states signed the treaty and the respective government passed legislation to accept the treaty. That process is called ratification. There are 23 states who have signed the treaty but who have not gone through the process of ratification. Assuming there are 206 sovereign states in the world, then there are about 74 states that are not part of this treaty. There are four other treaties that I'll briefly mention. Notice how the number of parties to each treaty decreases as we go through the other treaties. The next treaty is the Rescue Agreement of 1968. It is formally called the Agreement on the Rescue of Astronauts, the Return of Astronauts, and the Return of Objects Launched into Outer Space. There are 98 states who are party to this treaty, again, meaning that they have both signed and ratified the treaty. There are 23 states who have only signed the treaty. There are also about 85 states who are not involved with the treaty. Again, that is assuming there are 206 sovereign states in the world. As the name implies, this treaty deals with the safety and well-being of astronauts in the situation where one state is in a position to help an astronaut from a different state. The next treaty is the Space Liability Convention of 1972. It is formally called the Convention on International Liability for Damage Caused by Space Objects. There are 96 parties to this treaty and 19 signatories. There are about 91 states who are not part of this treaty. This treaty deals with situations where space objects of one state cause damage to property of another state. While this treaty has fewer parties, it is nearly at the level of the Outer Space Treaty showing general agreement of the ideas. Continuing on, let's consider the Registration Convention of 1975. It is formally called the Convention on Registration of Objects Launched into Outer Space. There are 69 parties to this treaty and three signatories. Now, we're seeing a significant drop in participation for this treaty with 134 states not being involved. This treaty requires states to let the United Nations know the orbit details of spacecraft that they launch in into space. The last treaty is the Moon Treaty of 1979. It's formally called the Agreement Governing the Activities of States on the Moon and Other Celestial Bodies. As you can see from the map, nearly all of the sovereign states in the world are not participating in this treaty. There are only 19 parties to this treaty with four signatories. In some ways, the Moon Treaty is trying to make certain principles in the Outer Space Treaty more explicit. Let's take a look at both the Outer Space Treaty and the Moon Treaty in a bit more detail since those two are 
of the treaties that may help us answer the question of who owns the moon. Let's consider some of the text of the Outer Space Treaty. Article 1 states, The exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall be carried out for the benefit and in the interest of all countries, irrespective of their degree of economic or scientific development, and shall be the province of all mankind. I've highlighted the word use because it is a word that is argued over in terms of what this article means. What does use entail? Some argue that the word isn't specific and thus mining the moon falls under the term use. I also highlighted the phrase shall be the province of all mankind. You will see how this language is slightly different in the moon treaty. Again, this is a point that is argued. Going to article 2, outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. The phrase I've highlighted is, is not subject to national appropriation. Basically, countries are not allowed to allocate parcels of land on the moon as they do within their own national territories. Jumping ahead to Article 6, it states, States parties to the treaty shall bear international responsibility for national activities in outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies. Whether such activities are carried on by governmental agencies or by non-governmental entities, and for assuring that national activities are carried out in conformity with the provisions set forth in the present treaty. The activities of non-governmental entities in outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall require authorization and continuing supervision by the appropriate state party to the treaty. When activities are carried on in outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, by an international organization, responsibility for compliance with this treaty shall be borne both by the international organization and by the state's parties to the treaty participating in such organization. I've highlighted non-governmental entities twice, since I think it needs to be clear. I've heard a few times private companies claiming that the Outer Space Treaty doesn't apply to them. It does. Moving on to the Moon Treaty, let's consider Article 3. Sections 1 and 2 read, The Moon shall be used by all states parties exclusively for peaceful purposes. Any threat or use of force or any other hostile act or threat of hostile act on the Moon is prohibited. It is likewise prohibited to use the Moon in order to commit any such act or to engage in any such threat in relation to the Earth, the Moon, spacecraft, the personnel of spacecraft, or man-made space objects. I've highlighted exclusively for peaceful purposes. Continuing with Article 3, it states, States parties shall not place in orbit around or other trajectory to or around the Moon objects carrying nuclear weapons or any other kinds of weapons of mass destruction, or place or use such weapons on or in the Moon. The establishment of military bases, installations, and fortifications, the testing of any type of weapons, and the conduct of military maneuvers on the moon shall be forbidden. The use of military personnel for scientific research or for any other peaceful purposes shall not be prohibited. The use of any equipment or facility necessary for peaceful exploration and use of the moon shall also not be prohibited. I've highlighted nuclear weapons and weapons of mass destruction. Later on, in Article 11 of the Moon Treaty, it states, The moon and its natural resources are the common heritage of mankind, which finds its expression in the provisions of this agreement. In particular, in paragraph 5 of this article, the moon is not subject to national appropriation by any claim of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. I've highlighted natural resources and common heritage of mankind, since I think those are contentious points. Notice that in the Outer Space Treaty, it states, shall be the province of all mankind. It's argued that
that common heritage requires states who profit from mining of natural resources to distribute wealth generated from their sale among all states. I've also highlighted not subject to national appropriation. That language also appears in the Outer Space Treaty. Next, Article 11 states, neither the surface nor the subsurface of the moon nor any part thereof or natural resources in place shall become property of any state, international, intergovernmental, or non-governmental organization, national organization, or non-governmental entity, or of any natural person. The placement of personnel, space vehicles, equipment, facilities, stations, and installations on or below the surface of the moon, including structures connected with its surface or subsurface, shall not create a right of ownership over the surface or the subsurface of the moon or any areas thereof. The foregoing provisions are without prejudice to the international regime referred to in paragraph 5 of this article. I've also again highlighted natural resources. To help us consider what we should do in space, let's consider how we deal with two issues that are inherently international. One is how we deal with international waters. In the map, the blue areas are what is today generally considered to be international waters, since they are not the territory, nor can they be claimed as territory by states. The green areas mark the exclusive economic zones, which extends 200 nautical miles to the sea from a state's land boundary. How states deal with international waters is in the United Nations. Convention on the Law of the Sea of 1994, for short, Law of the Sea. The diagram on the right depicts an example top-down view of a state's land-ocean boundary. A state's territory extends from land to 12 nautical miles out to sea. A state also has economic rights to an area that extends 200 nautical miles from their land boundary. This exclusive economic zone is where a state has rights to the natural resources in that area. Note that exclusive economic zones extend into international waters. So other states are free to sail through another state's exclusive economic zone, but not the sea within 12 nautical miles of the state's land boundary. Much like the Outer Space Treaties, the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea has some states participating and other states who don't. In the case of the Law of the Sea, 168 states shown in light blue are party to the treaty. The states in dark blue are also represented in this treaty by the European Union. There are 14 signatories and 20 24 states who are not participating. The United States, for example, does not participate in this treaty. The other situation on Earth that may help us with our thinking about laws in outer space is how states deal with the Antarctica continent. It is a difficult place to live since it's very dry and cold. People don't live there permanently, but there are people who go to Antarctica for scientific expeditions. This map shows all the countries who have claimed land in Antarctica. These countries are Argentina, Australia, Chile, France, New Zealand, Norway, and the United Kingdom. Generally, they claim a certain wedge shape from the continent going all the way to the South Pole. Of the countries who claim land, notice that some of their claims overlap with another country's claim. For example, both Argentina's and Chile's claims overlap. Currently, the rules are largely determined by the Antarctic Treaty System, which 54 states are party to. In the map above, various colors indicate each state's role in the treaty. Countries in orange were discussed in the previous slide. These are the countries who claim territory 
territory in Antarctica and also have voting rights. In yellow are countries who have voting rights but don't have claim to Antarctica. However, they reserve the right to make territorial claims. In blue are states who have voting rights but have no claim or desire for territorial claims. In green are states that don't have voting rights. Lastly, in red are states who don't have voting rights and are observers. If you want to read more about the outer space treaties and their legal implications, I found this article in the Virginia Law Review, Mining for Meaning, an Examination of the Legality of Property Rights in Space Resources by Amanda M. Lee and very helpful.